So today on the Sound Iron Podcast, we do not have a guest. It's just me and Craig, and we have a few things. You're you're throwing the horns. I see that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm getting ready ready for some intense libraries coming out. Noise. Wink, wink. I've got some things to talk about. Uh, Work-life balance is impossible. Ooh, hot take. Spicy. Yeah, uh, we need to we need to talk about that one because I got too much stuff going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, buy or borrow music is something that you may not have heard of, and I just signed up for Jason Graves Studio Tour. I got to go hang out with Jason and wanted to talk about Jess. that. Bruce Springsteen, rock star. You might have heard of him. We're gonna talk uh. about ticket sales and some gear that I am pumped about. Nice. So let's dig right in. Oh, yeah. The first one is from a blog that I follow, and this guy is kind of a tech entrepreneur, and he wrote a blog post called Work-Life Balance is Impossible. And he says in this blog, the nobler goal of life bucket integration. And he has Philippe Petit wire walking from the World Trade Center in 1974 with the big old pole that he's like walking across the two towers. (laughs) And this guy says, attempts at work-life balance are doomed before they start. And he said, the term balance suggests that there's some invisible scale that you're supposed to have like life on one side and work on the other. And Mm -hmm. if you tip the scale, you fall to your death, right? And things get horribly out of whack. Mm -hmm. And he basically goes on and says that the problem with work-life balance is the term balance itself. And you immediately think of a a dichotomy for two things to be balanceable. They must be at odds with each other. And he says, the question isn't how do you balance work and life, but how do you create a healthy relationship among work and the various other important areas of life? You can make your own list, but I rather like this one. Physical health, mental health, spirituality, creativity, relationships, family, travel, fun, finances, and work. Framed in a list like this, It's clear that the problem isn't work versus life. Work is just a part of the puzzle you're trying to find the best way to fit together. And so he goes on to say, if a parent says my family is my life, you don't judge them. But if you say my work is my life, we treat it differently. If it feels like work is adversarial to your life, is there some way to change it so it better supports other areas? I found that working outside and thinking through articles on walks both help my work support my physical and mental health. Making friends at work or co-working with friends can help support relationships and fun. Fun activities that support your physical and mental health, creativity, and relationships tend to be more enjoyable over long periods than fun activities that cost you physical and mental health. Time with your family is much more enjoyable if you incorporate fun, work, creativity, and fitness instead of seeing it as taking away from those things. The more buckets you can integrate or the more puzzle pieces you can put in, the more full the activities in your life will tend to feel. If you can have fun with your community in a creative way that's not hard on your finances, you'll get more long-term enjoyment than watching TV alone in your bedroom. Work is not something to be balanced against everything else. It's one of the many buckets in our life, sometimes the most important one if you're hardwired that way, and something we should figure out how best to integrate with the other areas in a healthy, supportive way. So I don't know if you have any initial thoughts on that, but he's basically reframing it from work-life balance where you're constantly fighting your life and your work to saying that each piece is an important part of the puzzle. And Mm -hmm. so like making sure that that puzzle piece of work fits in nicely 
um, is going to be more sustainable. Yeah. It's funny because it's like when you think of the whole term like work-life balance, it usually feels like it's you're trying to balance everything against your work, you know, especially for the people who, you know, put a lot of time into their work. And it's like, oh, well, all you do is work all the time. What about everything else? Like, you can't just do that. You're going to go crazy or whatever. But it's like, it's funny. I remember seeing this. Uh, I, I know we, we've talked about Rob Deerdick a long time ago. Yeah. I, follow, I follow him on Instagram. He likes to post a little, you know, inspirational stuff here and there. But there's one where he was talking about like the, uh, uh, you know, paraphrasing, but like kind of like the, the balance of life and how like everything has to kind of be in rhythm, you know, and it's like when it's not that's when people push really hard, like in, in different aspects of their life. So it's like, if you like, you're going too hard on one thing and then you feel like you need to make up for it, you know, doing something else. Oh, like, Oh, like I'm, I need to go to the gym more. And then you start becoming super focused on that. And then like, you almost start to stress yourself, stress yourself out. Cause you're, you're trying to like make up for the things that you're not focusing on anymore. Yeah. And it was just like, it, it just needs to, it needs to be balanced. You know, you gotta have balance. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, that's really interesting because it's like, it, it's very easy to feel like, oh man, like I'm lacking on this because I'm, I'm so, I'm so caught up in doing this other stuff. And then you just start to stress yourself out and it's like, and you, you feel out of balance, but it's just a right. matter of like making the time to do, you know, all the different things that you want to do, the things that make you happy. Yeah. I think a way to see it is like plate spinning or juggling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you start dropping the balls or the plates start crashing to the floor, you start panicking. Yeah. And so like, if you know, if your family relationships or your uh, friends community or whatever, there's like drama or something bad going on, like that starts crashing and it can impact the other puzzle pieces as well. Mm-hmm. Just just live life like Matthew McConaughey, you know, uh, that's how I do it. It's, it's all about balance, you know, you, you got to go in there green and, light. and balance it out, man. <laughs> Buy my whiskey. Yeah, buy my whiskey. Watch watch a commercial of me driving a car. <laughs> buy a Lincoln. Lincoln Lawyer. That's just a plug for you right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think any person who is driven in some way and feels like they work a lot, it's definitely one of those things. It's always the, the struggle. But Well, and we have composers on here who when you ask them what their other hobbies are, they're kind of like, uh, other hobbies? Like I watch content that I make content for. And then yeah. I make content, you know? Yeah, it's interesting when when people who have a big hobby that's like their fate, let's say like music, you love making music, but then that's your job. It's like, so what do you like to do for fun? It's like everything that they're going to say is just like regular day-to-day stuff. Uh, you know, hang out with my kids and go yeah. to the park. And other people are like, oh, well, so you don't really have any hobbies? Like, well, my job is my hobby, kind of, you know? Yeah, uh, and that's, I mean, people talk about making work play and it doesn't feel like work uh and it's very similar to that like when you're in a creative field and you're problem solving and you're doing something that you're fulfilled by it's not something that drains you and you're exhausted and just like ready to quit at the end of the day most days yeah it it is definitely an interesting thing especially when it comes to like uh doing your own creative stuff because you're using that sort of creative part of your brain all day and then after a while, you're just kind of like, you know, unless you're one of those people who are like a Jacob Collier who could just like crank out cool shit all the time. <laughs> but it, it, there is like, you know, a, a part where you start to be like, 
like, I don't really want to work on that anymore. I just kind of want to do something else or just like use a different part of your brain or yeah. Some, sometimes it could be a little tough. Cause I've heard, you know, from some composers that they're like, I don't really want to write music today, you know? Right. And it's, it's not to say that they don't love it, but they're just like, I just don't want to do that right now. And that yeah. is when you get to do your taxes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a paperwork day. And then you'll be yeah. real excited to do music the next day. Yeah. Yeah. That's always the, the thing you just yeah you got to do other stuff it's funny like i feel like the most common answer we've ever heard from people like what do you do when you hit a creative block and there's like i just go out for a walk you know big, yeah big walk energy for sure yeah yeah that's that's what that's what i hear everyone everyone say but you can't do that right now because it's too damn hot outside <laughs> you just i just walk up and down the stairs just all upset you know like the other day i was telling you i was having a little uh creative meltdown and i a was funk. like yeah i was just like it's not happening but then the next day I made it happen, but I need, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, needed to step away. That's that discipline kicking in. Yeah. Just like bang your head up against the wall a few times. So speaking of work-life balance, uh, I don't know if you listen to Dr. Peter Atia, but he is <laughs> a, he runs like a health clinic and does a lot of ultra high net worth uh, health obsessive people like he uh, does consultations and he also has a podcast called the drive mm. and it's just all about longevity exercise diet things like that one of the things he likes to talk about is something called backcasting and it's the opposite of forecasting basically so with backcasting you think about your last decade on earth so your marginal decade uh, let's say 70 to 80 or 80 to 90, however old you think you're going to be, uh, mm-hmm. think you're going to live to. And then you think about what you want to be able to do in your marginal decade. So do I want to be able to go up a flight of stairs? Do I want to be able to use the bathroom by myself? Do I want to be able to pick up a great grandkid? Things like that. And then you work backwards from that. So let's say you're 40 years old and you're in X shape. You're in this amount of health and your diet looks like this. As your body ages, you're degrading, as we all know. And so the the rate of decline is getting a little faster and a little faster as you age. And so if you're back casting, you can actually kind of track exactly where you should be at age 40, trying to maintain that sort of baseline. So as you age, you can be at 80 years old and be able to do the things on your list. Kind of like pre sort of like, not like reverse engineering your life, but kind of like preparing for what you want. It's exactly, I mean, reverse engineering is a perfect way to say it. Yeah. And humans are notoriously terrible at forecasting. So if we Mm -hmm. think like, oh, this library is going to come out in 12 months. Well, actually it took two years and that's Mm -hmm. forecasting or like a weather forecast, not always the best, right? But if you backcast, you can get a much more clear picture of where you should be at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. You're definitely going to have to have a a positive outlook on life because if you're like, I don't know, I'm probably going to live till 50. I'm probably going to die. So, all right, 50 is my cap. All right. So where do I want to be? All right. I want to, I definitely (laughs) want to be able to use the bathroom by myself. That's a given. (laughs) That should be, that's my goal. That's my only goal. I don't want to have to put that on anyone else. You know, know when you're shooting for like really low goals, like keep the bar as low as possible and then exceed expectations. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're going to make it past 50. Oh, well, I hope so. Just got (laughs) to. got to eat right and take my vitamin pills. You got to buy a Lincoln and whiskey. 
Yeah, you just got to get a link and get abs like me, man. <laughs> so I recently had the chance to go to Jason Graves Studio in North Carolina. Jealous. It was really cool. It was really fun. Jason's yeah. a, a super down-to-earth, nice guy mm-hmm. who's done a crazy amount of work on video games and TV shows and movies. He's had a really long career. So it was cool seeing his newly finished studio. And he's got he's got clouds on the ceiling, which made me jealous. And <laughs> I was like, dang, I gotta get some clouds. Like there. how did like how did you feel coming back home? Because I've had this <laughs> with like with yeah, like with with some composers, like like when I went to Vivek Madala's studio and he was just like, Yeah, like this whole building I had it built from the ground up, and he has these like crazy acoustic panels and like everything is so like it dialed into like mathematical ratios, and you just come yeah. home and you're just like, I need to step my game up. <laughs> what am I doing? You know? Yeah, I would say that I definitely had some gear interest after yeah. that. And that that will actually get to my next little little story. But the dude has everything dialed in to just be a laboratory factory of music making. And yeah. I mean, he, you know, John Williams used to say if you can get one minute of music finished in a day, you're doing good. That is no longer true. Uh, Jason can probably do five minutes of music in a day. Mm-hmm. finished and he mixes and masters all this stuff so it's just like crazy fast yeah he's kind of like uh like like his setup and and the way he goes about things reminds me of brian tyler mm. you know how he because like, he likes to like track stuff in use as many like real instruments as possible and mix and do all that stuff himself and yeah. like i think that's really cool when you when you see people that do that i mean for some people they just don't have the time so they'll just you know send it out to to have someone mix and that's cool because it keeps it keeps them flowing but like he seems like he's definitely one of those guys like to get hands-on yeah he likes to keep everything in house and i mean people also say like control freak and it's it has a negative connotation but it's also has some positives to it like if you keep everything under your control until the last second Mm-hmm. Where you ship it off, like it, it definitely you have no one to blame but yourself if things go wrong. <laughs> it's yeah. less especially, of a group project. Yeah, especially if you have a template that's just dialed in. Mm-hmm. You know, like 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 I remember in the video he was saying, like, yeah, I have this. It goes already to this track, and I've watched probably every YouTube video he has on his channel. Yeah, and just like the way he has his template set up with like mixing plugins, especially like with the outboard gear already routed into microphones, like it's already going in. And then it's already pre-mixed probably. And I'm sure he has presets and stuff for, for certain instruments. And if you do it all the time, like you kind of just know what works. Like it's just a streamlined way of going about it. And it's, I, I think it's one of those things. Cause like, uh, I'm definitely no, nowhere near uh, on the level of that guy, but like just having that interest, like I, I can relate on that level of just like, you know, cause when I first started, I just wanted to be able to track guitars. Mm-hmm. And then you start wanting to like mix and do this and like, ah, I just want to be able to demo out ideas. And it's not necessarily like the, the like I'm, I'm sure the whole control freak thing. I mean, that's offensive because you're calling someone a freak, but, but <laughs> like freak ha- of nature. Yeah. Is positive. Yeah. You're a control freak of nature, but yeah, like just, just being able to, usually it's like you get inspired, like, or you're just like, wow, that's cool. Like, I would like to learn how to do that. If you're one of those people that just like to learn stuff. And he mm-hmm. definitely seems like that. He's got like, whole bunch of books everywhere and you definitely have to be a pretty pretty intelligent person to be able to like pull all that stuff off but yeah it's um it's really cool it's inspiring to see that kind of stuff because it's cool like i like i like that there's people that 
we're like, hey, I want to be able to like do all that. I think a lot of it is is being a tinkerer and being curious, and that's exactly. something that that like the most successful people have in spades is they're constantly like, wait, 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 tell me about that. Like, I want to know more about that. Mm-hmm. And his work life balance was really cool to see as well because he was talking about things power down at five or six p.m. every day, and the weekends he doesn't work. And he has 20 plus pets and a family that he pays attention to and he eats lunch at home and everything like that. So he's he's got that puzzle piece of work really dialed in so -hmm. that he can turn it off and not think about it when he's not in the office. Yeah. Did he say when he usually started work or how many hours a day he usually composes or or works on? I mean, I'm sure it fluctuates, but it's typically like eight to 12 and then one to 530 or something like that. So he's getting... Mm. Around eight hours, but it depends on deadlines. And- yeah, then it would just fluctuate depending on what needs to get done. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, his studio is awesome, man. Yeah, so we just posted a full studio tour. It's like 35 minutes long of just gear, just how he uses the gear, how everything's patched. And he was really generous with his time and just like letting us know all the secret sauce there. And then we did a interview, a shortened interview for YouTube. And then we did a full interview on the podcast. So you can get just as much Jason Graves content as you could possibly want. Yeah, that guy, like you said, he's full of gems. And, you know, everything from, you know, how he like, you know, started sampling his own instruments to working on VR, VR games, like so much, so much information. Yeah, so definitely, yeah, check out all those. There's a lot of stuff like where he's gone into more detail on his YouTube channel, like with the whole Dead Space stuff. But it, it's a, it's always cool just to like hear, you know, how he started working on stuff. Like it's funny, I was watching some other videos of him working on the Tomb Raider soundtrack, and it's cool how he like built a whole instrument just for that game. Yeah, and it kind of became like the sound of the score. And but it's so cool. It's just like that. That's what we like to do, you know. Like the like you know some of the libraries like building weird instruments, you know, like Cylindrum and all that stuff. Just like it's it's cool to see other people sort of having these crazy ideas and making something really cool with it. Yep, making something special. So I left his studio, and this dude had just sold me so hard on this Novation Peak hardware synthesizer. And I was like, I don't want to buy it because, number one, it's kind of expensive. And number two, I just let gear sit and collect dust. So is there a way for me to rent this synth? easily. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled upon the website buyorborrowmusic.com. Mm-hmm. And this is a mom and pop shop that basically has pedals, microphones, and synthesizers that they will ship to you one at a time, almost like a Netflix DVD. Oh, and okay. it's a uh, subscription service. So I'm paying $30 a month and they will send me something and when i'm done with it i'll send it back to them and then they'll send me the next thing and there's certain like fees for larger gear uh so i think that's like 40 dollars extra to to send oh, like uh, for the shipping and all that to send the peak over yeah mm-hmm. but i tested it out with the strymon volante which is a tape echo pedal fairly expensive for what it is uh it has like a spring reverb in it and all that i think it's like f- around 400 dollars new and I had it on my desk and I was running ins and outs and I was using it for Quadril 3 that I'm working on right now. Oh. And it was fun. And I used it for about two weeks and then it collected dust. 
And I was like, I'm so happy that I didn't buy this and let it sit on my pedal board for weeks and weeks and months and months without using it. And now I just get to send it back. And I basically rented this pedal for $30. Oh, wow. So it's a cool idea. The one downside of it, I would say, is these people are very passionate about calling you on the phone. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to get your take. How do you feel about Sweetwater or brands like that giving you sales calls? Uh, I mean, they're usually pretty nice. And it's always oh, yeah. like the same sales rep. Sure. You know, some sometimes I'll, I'll if I happen to pick up, they're like, hey, this is so-and-so from Sweetwater. And, you know, we know you you bought that thing. And <laughs> how you how's everything going? You like that? I don't like you call them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I I generally don't like just being called randomly. Right. Right. <laughs> Unless it's like someone I know, but it, you know, when it's like I'm usually not a fan of that, but I, it's, if, if it, it becomes too much, I, sure. I mean, I feel like, like it, whatever they would call it, be like every now and again, maybe like once every year or two or something that I can remember, unless I just like forward the call, but you're not a big ticket customer. They're like, they're like, hey, he's not, you're not buying enough. Yeah, you're not a whale. We can't yeah. really support the phone calls. Well, um, I, I think I speak for millennials and Gen Z when we, when I say we don't want to be called. Like if we sign up to an online thing, we don't want our phone number being used. Mm-hmm. I could be, I could be wrong on that. And like some people probably love the personalization of the phone call, but for me, it just like made me almost want to cancel it because I was like, I signed up online. I paid online. I don't want a phone call to like introduce me to the service or anything like that. Like I understand exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah, they should definitely have like an opt out for right. that. Right, right, you know, right. Like, like, are you okay with us randomly calling you and seeing how your day is? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and I'm like, I can't work if I'm on the phone. You're messing with my work life balance. <laughs> Boom. There it is. Yeah. Um, so that is buy or borrow music.com. I really like the idea. And if you want to get a novation peak for like $70 and just have it for a couple months, this is the way to do it. Crazy. What are, what other types of gear do they have? I mean, they have a lot of stuff, dude. Like they have yeah. some vintage mics. They have pretty much all the new hot pedals that you can think of. Like Jason Graves was talking about the microcosm, which is like a glitchy reverb delay thing that I'm really interested in. He was also talking about the rooms reverb, which is that black, that black stereo reverb. Mm -hmm. Um, They have tons of Strymon stuff. It's pretty much like lots and lots of guitar pedals, lots of synthesizers. Oh, okay. Okay. So changing subjects. I also wanted to talk to you about Bruce Springsteen, the one and only American singer, songwriter, and musician. This dude has released 20 studio albums. He was born in 1949, which means he's 72 years old. And the reason I wanted to talk about him is that he's going on a 2023 tour. Oh, he's coming back. Worldwide. He never left as a thing. This dude... (laughs) is making rock and roll and has been for the last 50 years, basically. And you want to take a guess at minimum pricing for a ticket? I'm going to say 500. <laughs> it's too high. It's too high. All right. Two, uh, two, all right. 250. That was going to be my perfect, first guess. Perfect. But I was like, I don't know. This might be ridiculous. Let me for, the back of, for the back of the arena, you can get a ticket to go see him for 250. Oh, wow. And this dude is selling out arenas. Uh, So if you think about his fan base, they are mostly older, right? And I would say most of them have enough money 
that that is not really an issue. And so this dude is touring for an older audience. He plays like three hour shows. That's crazy. I love it, man. So in 1973, he released his first two albums and then changed his style a little bit, iterated on the genre a little bit with Born to Run in 1975. Mm -hmm. And that was like the breakout album that made him huge. Uh, He has sold more than 150 million records worldwide and more than 64 million albums in the United States, making him one of the world's best-selling music artists. Damn. He's gotten... 20 Grammys, two Golden Globes, an Academy, etc., etc. You understand. He, the accolades are stacking. <laughs> he, he was inducted into both the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999. And he is 23rd on Rolling Stone's list of greatest artists of all time. So he was born in New Jersey and his dad was a bus driver. His mom was a legal secretary. In 1964, he saw the Beatles televised appearance at, on the Ed Sullivan show, and he bought his first guitar for $19 at the Western Auto Appliance Store. Wow. What was your first guitar? It was uh, a Kima. Ooh. K-I-M-A, like super cheap knockoff. I think it had like 20 frets. I don't even, yeah, it didn't even have. Is it acoustic 20. or electric? Electric. Okay. Yeah, I got it. I got it from a friend with a little practice amp for like 80 bucks. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, that's what I cut my teeth on learning any anything I could. Basically. Man, when you're first starting, it doesn't matter that it's a, yeah. it's a piece of junk. Like it's just fun to play, and you don't you don't know how bad you are. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish I still had it. That would have been cool, even though it probably would just be sitting in a bag or something somewhere. But um, I, I have my my first like good guitar i guess yeah i got a, an, an ibanez rg 120 after that and now i felt like that was like the hugest step up i was like man this guitar is amazing but yeah that that i still have and yeah that thing is like needs work <laughs> it's like <laughs> i don't even have the original knobs anymore i found these other knobs to you know for the volume right the other ones just like fell off and i found this like this cheapy one that would just like with the little volume numbers on them yep my first electric guitar was a Squire, Fender Squire Bullet. It was like all white and the intonation on it was so bad, man. Yeah. The Guitar Center guy sold me on it. And he was like, yeah, a lot of beginners start with this. And I didn't know what I was doing. And my dad was there with me and he had even less idea than I did. He's and like, it, it looks just, nice. Looks yeah. like a good guitar. It, lo- it looks good. It's a hundred like, oh, We're running a sale right now. So, yep. you know, like <laughs> I never had a Fender actually. You're not missing like, that much. <laughs> he was like, dude, don't worry. The G string will never go out of tune. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Intonations on it. It's great. It's great. So the next guitar that this dude got was a $60 guitar. And oh, his so- mom had to take out a loan to get this. It was a Kent guitar. Oh, okay. But we could tell that he was serious about the instrument. And so his mom decided to invest. Then... He got signed to Columbia Records in 1972. He had piqued the interest of John Hammond, who had signed Bob Dylan 10 years earlier. So he kind of got a a pretty big break with uh, his music at that point, just getting lucky with hopping on Columbia Records. So in 1974, after seeing Springsteen's performance, uh, John Landau is a music critic, and he wrote, I saw Rock and Roll Future, and its name is Bruce Bruce Springsteen. 
And on a night when I needed to feel young, he made me feel like I was hearing music for the very first time. And he actually, this guy, this critic actually helped to finish the epic new album Born to Run and then became Springsteen's manager and producer. And this part I wanted to talk to you about. So this album was very labor intensive. It took more than 14 months to record with six months alone spent on developing the song Born to Run. Maybe we were born to run. During <laughs> during this time, Springsteen battled with anger and frustration over the album, saying he heard sounds in his head that he could not explain to the others in the studio. And I know that you've probably had similar concepts, like both with composing by yourself and with working in a collaboration where you're mm-hmm. trying to describe the sound you're looking for, you're trying to like hear in your head, and it's really hard to put into words or even mouth noises. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like there's no like onomatopoeia for like some weird fucking sound, you know? Yeah. You're just like, it's like this like like undulating thing. It was like like space monster, right? And he's got like these like sounds going on. But it's like that, but it's like reversed. Right. Some pit, it's like, what? I mean, I, I'd probably be better at describing that now. Yeah. But like when you don't know like what that thing is or like trying to like, like you heard throat singing or something from a movie it's like oh it sounds like oh you're like what i don't know what that is it just sounds like a like a zombie or something or like you know, it's like one of those things but like like when you don't know what that is or like you know certain instruments like the other day you were uh asking me about that um was it the 13 lives the benjamin wallfish score and you were asking me about oh the, yeah the thai like, instrument yeah and it's like interesting because at first i was like oh it kind of sounds like an air who or something but then it's it's not it's like some completely different instrument yeah but uh like you know different area where it's from too but yeah uh, it's from thailand i like had to go into thailand traditional instruments and it's like a saw duo or something like that mm -hmm. yeah yeah but it's like one of those like you know even hearing it you're like wait what is that because it's like can it's sort of familiar but it's not quite what you know Yeah. yeah it's a little on the fringe So Steve Van Zant was asked by Springsteen to take charge and instruct the horn players. And you might know Steve Van Zant from The Sopranos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was also, uh, um, what's that that show on Netflix? Lily Hammer. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a mob guy and he he goes to like Norway or or Iceland or something like that. So this dude was actually a rock star first. And then The Sopranos is his first acting role. Yeah. Well, he totally looks the part. Yeah. It's funny he he face. in the band it's not as much but like he just looks like he'd be like Al Pacino's brother or something he says <laughs> that like that old school gangster vibe. Yeah. So Steve Zant ended up singing each horn player the part with lines, timing and inflection all perfect and then the musicians played their parts in studio from his singing to them and the horns were recorded like that. Oh wow. Killer, That's right? Pretty cool. He's like, ah, oh, you know, just give me a little bit of the. <laughs> Come on, you could do better than that. You're better than that. <laughs> You're better than the gap. Come on, you could do better. So, Born to Run releases August 25th, 1975, proves to be a breakthrough album and catapults Springsteen to worldwide fame. Album peaks at number three on the Billboard 200, and he had songs like Born to Run, Thunder Road, Jungle Land and 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which are still played on many classic rock stations. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 50 years ago. And basically, this dude had some ebbs and flows in his career. Uh, he 
calls the 90s his lost decade where he kind of didn't know what to do and was was having trouble making new music and wasn't really enjoying his old music. Mm. Um, So he had some ups and downs. He acknowledged that the 1990s were a lost period for him. He said, I didn't do a lot of work. Some people would say I didn't do my best work. And he did get married in 1991 and he had some, uh, he had a family. And so his focus kind of moved off of making new music for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, He released a sprawling four disc box set of outtakes called tracks, which was just like, random snippets of songs. Mm -hmm. But then in 1999, he gets inducted to the rock and roll hall of fame and the singer songwriter hall of fame. And he decides to get the E street band back together. They make an album in 2002. They release their first studio effort in 18 years with the whole band called the rising. This album does really well. And everyone's like back on the Springsteen train. Yeah. So the reason that I actually started reading about Bruce is that I saw a tour of him from 2013 when he was 63. And the dude was killing it. Just vocals sound great. Guitar sounds great. Whole band is just totally locked in. Yeah. And I mean, he's playing like a huge arena and he sounds great live. Like he's the real deal. Mm-hmm. He's playing Dancing in the Dark and he brings his mom out on stage and is dancing with his mom. It's super cute. <laughs> but that was nine years ago. And so then I decided, oh, I want to see what he's doing now. So I watched him and he actually came out on stage with Coldplay. All right. Performed a couple songs uh, of his with the lead singer of Coldplay, Chris Martin. And Chris Martin was like, This is one of my musical heroes. I actually have his like one of his songs tattooed on my arm and all this stuff mm-hmm. so it's cool just seeing people who have had like longevity in music and who are still enjoying themselves at age 72 yeah that's that's really cool probably just running around all over the stage and <laughs> all pumped yeah and he looks great too like i don't know if this is the music that's keeping him young or the the exercise routine or what i don't know what it is maybe maybe he did what you were saying he reverse engineered his life and and he's just like all right so when i'm this age i want to be on stage right killing it what do i need to do <laughs> yeah. to maintain that tell me about what diet i need in order yeah. to do this yeah yeah 100 percent. so if you want to go see bruce springsteen next year you're gonna to have to buy a scalper ticket because most of them are all sold out but you can also watch him live on youtube that is all i have on bruce springsteen Um, so now we can move to the recommendation section. My first potential recommendation that I'm still working on is buyerborrowmusic.com. But my second one is this mouse. This is the MX vertical from Logitech and you hold it like this, like a handshake. Interesting. So I actually bought this for my wife because she was having some wrist problems with her tiny Mm. little mouse. And This mouse is a little bit too big for her hands, so we bought her the smaller version. But I'm trying it out, and I'm thinking about switching, just having this one to switch to if if I ever have, like, wrist pain or any issues. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you hold it like a handshake, 
And it's supposed to be the most ergonomic way to hold a mouse. And you're supposed to be no wrist pain or carpal tunnel issues ever. Interesting. Yeah, that's I've never seen that before. Now you have. Yeah, because I mean, like with this, you know, using a mouse, you you have to like adjust everything. Like I try to like adjust the height of 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 this. You know, I'm, yeah. this is actually even a little bit lower than it should. It should probably be like here. But there's always that, you know, motion. So that, that makes sense that like, you know, basically, just, you know, if you any way you can keep your arms straight and not have any sort of like if you if your hand is doing this or this, like you're going to it's going to bite you in the end. Yeah. And that's why laptops are so bad, because you have these like T-Rex arms going when you're typing or when you're on mm-hmm. the tri- the trackpad. There's just no blood flow going into your hands and you're going to end up with carpal tunnel yeah like like i was messing around with this because it's a standing desk but uh it's like a manual one so i gotta like lift it and with all the stuff on here it gets yeah. a little too so yeah but uh but i was having some issues because the desk wasn't tall enough mm. so i would my hands would be kind of like that and like i started getting really bad hand pains so i just ended up moving it moving it down so yeah like that that's pretty cool and you said it's logitech yep vertical so yeah if i use it i'll let you know how it goes uh you have any recommendations for this week any tv shows movies podcasts gear software Mm. uh a a show that's actually really cool that uh, a friend of ours told us about it's a show called primal i think it's on i watched the first episode of it yeah it's really cool it's a completely different type of show because there's not really a lot of dialogue if any yeah, it's it's just uh, music is um, Tyler Bates and uh, Joanne Higginbottom. And, you know, if it, he used to play guitar for Marilyn Manson, he's another, another rock band guy turned composer. And um, yeah, it's it's a really cool show. It's I like how it has that kind of like the the type of animation that I sort of grew up with. Right. So I think that's pretty cool. And yeah, it's it's just it's just really good. It's made by Gindy Tartakovsky who is the creator of Dexter's Laboratory and Samurai Jack and Star Wars Mm. Clone Wars. And then, yeah, Primal. So it's on HBO Max is where I was watching it. But Mm -hmm. it has very little, like almost no dialogue at all. So it's telling you a story completely with visuals and sound effects. And it's about a primal man and dinosaur teaming up and uh in prehistoric times it's really cool it's like the coloring and animation of it is is really nice and the the music and sound effects obviously Mm -hmm. have to carry a lot of weight because Mm -hmm. there's no script yeah like there's like i mean if you're barely on the first episode there's there's uh another episode that has a little bit more but yeah it's it's very like all telling story through just like all the the different action and or the, the different things that you're seeing and and if they can engage you with without really having to talk a lot, like that is pretty cool. Yeah, it's and, very and it's and it's a it's a really unique concept for especially for a cartoon. Yeah. So I was watching that this weekend, actually. Yeah, and they're short episodes too. They're like twenty mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah, I would recommend that. Definitely, definitely watch that. I, I don't really watch. Yeah, I don't really watch a lot of like cartoon stuff these days. But I was just like, oh wow, yeah, it caught my attention. It's definitely well done, and uh, I would say it's a masterclass on using sound just because it's, like, right up front in your face. Mm-hmm. Killer, dude. Well, we will end it there. We have more guests incoming 
uh, over the next few weeks on the podcast. So make sure to subscribe and ding the cute little bell and leave us a five-star review and all that stuff. And we will catch you soon. Yeah. Let it, let us know how, how much you don't like our voices. Tell us about how much you <laughs> hate Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you like Bruce Springsteen. What's your I really, Bruce I actually really like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Some, some, some people in my peer group judge that decision, but I enjoy it. Didn't you just know who not, not to be friends with? That's it. <laughs> we don't have to agree on music. You, yeah. you don't like Attack Attack. I used to like Attack Attack. It's okay. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll still be your friend. Just we don't can. listen to Attack Attack while I'm in the car. That's it. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah, don't blast it on the on the shared CD player. Okay. Yeah, please, please. That's all I ask. <laughs> All right, Craig. I will catch you next week, my man. All righty. All right. Peace. Peace out.